Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tommy Tiernan podcast. Today I want to talk about community. Um, The first community you belong to is the community of yourself. All the different little components that make you up. They're all different, you know. You have different bones in different parts of your body. You have different soft, rubbery, blubbery, bleedy bits You have the internals and the externals and you have your thoughts and all these different things combine and they make you. The community of yourself when you have meetings in your skull to decide what you might get up to or changes you'd like to make and there are different factions and I suppose um, if we get a disease in your body it's kind of like there's an insurrection going on someplace but all communities are a fiction um, and I, uh, I was talking to this monk this really old American monk who went to Thailand when he was 24 or 25 and he joined the Theravadans and they're a, a it's a branch of Buddhism they shave off their hair they can't be alone with women they never touch money and they're not allowed to feed themselves but he, he, he liked it and he said to me by the way just as a as a qualifier here um, when I say these things that like say that Bob Dylan told me one time or I remember a look Jessica Lang gave me um, what I mean is these weren't one-on-one encounters that you might usually associate with those types of sentences. You know, <laughs> Jesus told me yesterday. What I mean by all those things is that Bob Dylan could be talking in an interview and he could say, you know, um, well, the whole purpose of life is to keep change in character and express your character and and find out all the different characters you can be now I would then relate that to you by saying I was talking to Bob Dylan yesterday and I, I, I think he's a little bit out of it so anyway this particular monk said to me 
He said, Tom, it's not that consciousness exists in people. It is that we exist in consciousness. So the consciousness isn't contained within the walls of your head, between your two ears. Consciousness is the whole universe. And that really made sense to me. Just sometimes you hear ideas and they sound very clever, but this one just seems to have a fluency to it. It makes sense. And I, I was talking to a professor of psychology recently and he said to me, yeah, that there's something in that they've... I, mean, I can't tell you what he said because I can't remember. But it was something along the lines of, you could be on to something there, Tom. And I think when... I remember when uh, my, my mother died. Sometimes you can have a, an experience that is too big for your body. And that's, I think, what people mean when they say they ha something happens and they're devastated. So the walls of their skull are blown off and the individual disappears, devastated. Sometimes grief can do it to you. The feeling of grief is too big for your body. I think that's what happened at um, my mother's funeral was just, it felt like the sides of me head came off and I no longer existed. I was just like a note, a musical note that was being played by this sad song. And this friend of mine sent me a text and he said, sorry to hear about your mam, dot, dot, dot. It blows you wide open. So... This notion of that we exist in consciousness rather than it being a there being seven billion individual consciousnessnesses in the world and whatever consciousness you might presume to be in a dog or an elephant or a tree or a wall is that everything is held in the one consciousness. And there's something about that idea that just, it fucking, there's a truth in it that you couldn't explain. But what that then suggests to me is that this notion of the community of your body is a fiction. Yes, there's a part where your body stops and your body starts, but it, this thing of your body being separate from everything else around it is not true. We live in a world of pure imagination. I'm after robbing that from a song. <laughs> pure imagination that I can't think of. But anyway, imagination is to human beings what water is to fish. It's, it's how we move through the world. Everything we do is an act of imagination. Um, family. Family is another community that I belong to. But it's an idea. It's an idea. Uh, uh, two people living together um, with children. 
that's an idea and there are certain rules to this idea and there are certain habits all living in the same house and mom and dad sleep together unless dad snores an awful lot and then dad has to go downstairs and sleep by himself but he comes back up the following morning full of a sexual tension that is actually quite uh, enjoyable it's almost worth it it's almost worth sleeping alone to come upstairs and the both of you to be flying for the morning ride but family has because family is just an idea like my all children are a biological fact but your family is a notion and all notions are vulnerable people can leave their families you can't leave a a fact just because you move to America that doesn't mean your children who are in Spiddle aren't still your children I'm a Liverpool supporter you know and the the fiction of this was, was brought home to me quite recently at Christmas time I got I'm not a big dope smoker it never really suited me um, there are enough ghosts between me years I don't need to be encouraging don't need to be summoning 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 more of them from the swamp of my unconscious so I tend to stay away from the the terrifying smoky drugs but this hillbilly bohemian friend of mine got me a uh, they made herself and her partner made this um, kind of a hash drink, you know, kind of marijuana wine, some sort of a cannabis yolk you could drink. So it being Christmas and to celebrate the good news, to celebrate the news that we are not alone in the universe and we are all destined for an eternal paradise symbolised in the birth of a baby in a stable to celebrate this fact sure I didn't I take a few shots of the hash wine and then uh, Man United were playing on the telly I don't know who they were playing but I went up to watch them and I realised I loved them that I, I loved Man United and I said I'm never drinking this fucking stuff again the consequences <laughs> I, I cannot cope with. But it blew apart this fiction of me being a Liverpool supporter. I live in Barna, which is uh, on the edge of the Connemara Reservation. And I experienced the community of Barna during the GAA season. And it's a wonderful thing. There's a it could be a parish that maybe is five or six miles wide and four or five miles long. And there's something wonderful about getting to know the people here and, you know, to to work together to defeat our enemies. Every parish has enemies. And that's part of the delight of being in a parish. You you bond together under the stress of trying to beat Salt Hill, Knocknacara, Spiddle and my Cullen. That's what defines you. But I could have easily moved to... I, I have lived in other parishes all my life. So these 
this this parish of Barna, this kind of collegiate feeling we have here, is kind of an invention. It's such an enjoyable one, though. I belong to the community of comedians. And we're a group we don't really see, as you get older, you don't really see too much of one another. The more successful you become as a comic, the less you see of other comedians. We all started off together way back in the mid to late 90s. And stand-up was just beginning to thrive in Ireland. There was five or six comedy clubs in Dublin. There was club in Belfast, a club in Derry, there was a Galway and Cork. There was tours. We did tours that were sponsored by Carol's Cigarettes. And we'd play colleges, play all the RTCs and we'd arrive with 4,000 packets of facts <laughs> that we'd give out in between jokes. And we moved as a group. And there could have been maybe 60 of us all together. And we all knew one another and we all knew one another's material. We all performed at the, in the same clubs on the same nights as one another. And then after three or four years, someone is starting to get a bit more attention than somebody else. And you're always watching to see the quality of other people's work. And some of it, it was fucking astounding. But it was the... Seeing the brilliance of other people and then you wondering, well, how can I bring something new to the table? How can I be different from all those? What's the point in me doing stand-up if I'm the same as these other four fellas? You know, I need to... And the pressure of that forced you into a kind of an originality that made you kind of unique. And that's what... The opposite of that then happens... If you become well-known, we've all seen that thing of going to see a well-known comedian, really famous well-known comedian, and he's actually shit. He's got, the more famous he's become, the worse he's become. Because he's not surrounded by other comedians. He's travelling by himself. He only, he's only working off what the crowd are telling him. Should the crowd love him? So he's not being challenged enough. I see all my old pals now. I see them at comedy festivals. And to me, it feels like we are a community of assassins. You know, we're each working our own particular territory, alone at night, sleeping in cars and shooting businessmen. So the festivals are great. I belong to a community, of course, of chat show hosts. And we never fucking meet. I mean, <laughs> you'd think we would, wouldn't you? And even though I only have a, a small little chat show that only runs, only runs for a few weeks every year, you'd, you'd think there'd be some sort of a conference I'd be invited to with Letterman and Jimmy Fallon and Brian Tuberty and Graham Norton and Jonathan Ross and Trevor Noah. You'd think I'd be, you know... Come on in, Tom. Sit down there, have a seat, and we'll uh, we'll have a chat about chat. I belong to a community of people with very high cholesterol. I am um, now the Tiernan cholesterol is genetic. It's fuck all to do a cake. Uh, there's something about the way Tiernans are put together that is it fat around one of the arteries, the the arteries, so one of them tubes 
coming out of your heart. I think the Tiernans have um, too many fatty deposits there. Like there was Tiernan, Tiernans dying of high cholesterol. There was Tiernans getting heart attacked during the famine. And there was no cake in the country at all. And we were dropping dead from cream and stuff like that. Anyway. But like the chat show host, the community of high cholesterol people never get to meet. I belong to a community of balding men. Um, and this is where I feel most of the work needs to be done. Who are the great bald men of our culture? I don't mean the, the, the people who shave their heads like Pep Guardiola and Jason Statham. Is that his name? And Richie Sadler. And these people, fine-looking men, well-intentioned, good men, but scared to embrace how shockingly Irish <laughs> and middle-aged they would look if they just let the fucking... Now, that's Pep Guardiola's big fear. I don't want to look like a <laughs> barman from Navan in the 1970s. And that's what he would look like if he just let the hair grow. I'm letting my hair grow. I'm, uh, my ambition in life has always been to have a haircut that nobody else has. So it's... Um, I have a beautiful uh, bald spot. Uh, like my uncle's. And like my father. Uh, uh, a head of hair that I, I can only be delighted to inherit. And a beautiful bald spot and then just a kind of an island of hair as my daughter said to me at, at the front just an island of hair self-sufficient entirely unconnected of course I build little follicle bridges from the little island at the front out to the islands at the side but it's just, it's just there all by its own as my, my, my daughter said to me do you have a roundabout and that, that's what it is but there are very few Again, it's all to do with magazines and I feel a lot of the pain that women say they felt with the the, the tyranny of the image and the way that in women's magazines, just as a short aside here, not getting into anything big, but just as a short little aside, women's magazines mainly run by women. Um, photographs of, they've said they felt the tyranny of the slim image. And how are they supposed to live up to it when the reality is that most of our bodies kind of wobble? But I feel some of their pain because there are very few balding men being sold as sex symbols. Well, we have to identify them. Who are they first? Well, I mean, Bill Murray. I mean, isn't he a ride? And he had the big ball spot on him. And, and Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson had a uh, he had a big ball spot as well. We haven't seen too much of Jack recently. God be good to him and all that. God be good to him. He's not dead, but just you know, God be good to him. So I belong to that community, you know. And I I feel as if it's my job to try and make this kind of Hibernian baldness sexy again. It's hardly likely to succeed. I'd need the women to get on board. I, I couldn't just declare myself to be sexy uh, without some sort of affirmation from the ladies. I belong to a community and another community of the mind now, really, 
and of memory. The community of fellas that I went to school with. The community of fellas and girls that I was in primary school with. St. Oliver Plunkett's Primary School in Navan. And I have a photograph. The sixth class photograph taken, you know. And... It, it, it's a strange thing to look at. Once you know somebody as a child, I think for the rest of both of your lives, you can see the goodness in them. If one of my classmates ended up in prison for doing something awful, I would be able to look at that photo and see the goodness in him. Friends of mine from St. Oliver Plunkett's school in Navan didn't make it. Um, friends of mine disappeared and it's a shocking thing to look at a photograph of a young fella aged 11 with the beautiful head of hair in them and freckles and innocence and know that at some stage impossible to predict by looking at him when he was 11 but at some stage it got too much for him and he went away but you can see the goodness in him In all of them. And I think about them all. And I have nothing but great memories and great love for them. I belong to the tribe of Irishness. And it's amazing. Even though Irishness is a fiction. Because... Countries were invented. Nationality is something that we all agreed to believe in. The place where we live is just a rock surrounded by water. It has no name. In a strange way, it also has no history or no future. It's just there. But we have come up with this thing of Irishness like everybody from every other part of the world has come up with this notion of wherever it is they're from as well. And being Irish is, even though it's a fiction, it's a fucking delight. I remember once being in London, walking around Soho. And Soho is full of, full of life, lots of gay clubs, lots of theatres, lots of Fancy arts, bars. Just to, it's a real buzz of a community over there. And there was a wino walking around. And he had an Irish accent. And for a moment, it was just the two of us together against the rest of them. Do you know what I mean? It was kind of like me and this fella had more in common. I had more in common with him than I had with anybody else. 
in the street. We had a, a shared, imagined history. And as I'm sure has happened to many people, you know, many people who are on holiday or have good jobs in San Francisco or New York, Melbourne or Glasgow. If you're walking along and you hear somebody begging in an Irish accent, you stop, don't you? And where are you from? And how'd you end up over here? And, and there's a few quid for you. That's part of the rules, I think, of being Irish. So community, to me, even though it's an invention, it can be a marvellous one. And I also have to try and remember that community is where you're from but it's not where you're going to. So, that's it everybody. I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. The Irish for community, by the way, Mwincherus, Koluder, Lucht, or Pubble. See you next time. God bless. This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.